So look, let me start off <laughs> with something that may be familiar if you're a child of the 80s. Go. They might not work now, there we go. You recognize that? Yeah. Yeah? It was popular when I was a teenager all those years ago. Ooh, baby. Oh, baby. I'm one singer. You don't want me to sing. <laughs> Seriously. Is they say heaven is a place on earth. Oh, no, let me start again. Do you know what it's worth? Heaven is a place on earth. They say heaven, in heaven love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Here's the question we're asking. That's why I play that song. Uh, apart from the fact that I used to really like it. Uh, is that heaven, are we asking a question, is heaven a place on earth? Is there any substance to that? I mean, where, where, on earth, where the heck did she get those lyrics from? Or whoever wrote that song. Okay, is heaven really a place on earth? So come with me. We're going to look at these texts together. Could I have a tiny bit more volume? I can't hear myself very well. Thank you. Thank you. If I can't hear what I'm saying, I could be speaking more gobbledygook than I normally do. <laughs> okay? Uh, okay, there we go. Save me straining my own voice. I'm not too loud for you? No, okay. So here's our heading. The Christian's future. The Christian's future. We're going to start with a new heaven and earth. First one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I want to start looking at these verses where... Working through these two chapters, uh, the, the, our cities in heaven is a bit like a lie. You know, like a lie starts off this little, doesn't it? And then gets this big. Well, this series was going to be one sermon. It, it's kind of grown now. So we'll do this over a few weeks. I'm not sure quite how many just yet. Maybe three. So I'm going to give you a sketch to begin with. Heaven, let me ask you a question. Heaven, what is it? Where is it? What's it like? Someone tell me. Have a go. Heaven, what is it? Where is it? What's it like? Uh, and by heaven, we, we're talking, we, we're really thinking about the end of time, uh, the heaven that we're all anticipating and sharing together. What is it? Where is it? What's it like? Someone have a go, and I'll try not to embarrass you, I, I promise. It's a place of perfection, yes. Where is it? It's, it's got goldy presence. Where is it? You'd think so, wouldn't you? But it's not. Exactly, exactly. So it's not up, okay? It's a planet that's new, that speaks of being remastered, reconfigured, restored, rejuvenated. Okay, look, look, how did it all start? Genesis, Genesis 1. How did the planet start? God's all, all that he made and he was? Very good. The earth began in perfection. Okay? It's no longer in perfection. It's, at, it's actually malfunctioning at breakneck speeds. I mean, 2004. In fact, we were, believe it or not, we were flying to Australia in 2004. Whilst we were up in the air, the tsunami took place, the 2004 one. Now, when you think about that, when, when the world looks at that, they assume that... There cannot be, possibly be a God because 
if there was a God, why would he create a world that malfunctions like that? But here's the issue. That's not the world God created, is it? The world that we live in now is not the Genesis world that Jesus said, it is good. What's happened to this world? Sin has infected our world. It's destroying it from the inside. The planet is a shadow of what it once was. But what, what's, Genesis, what's Revelation, rather, once suggesting? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. What's he suggesting? It's going to be remade. That's the point. Starting afresh. Okay? So when we think of heaven, the future now, we're thinking of a planet being restored. Here's what a commentator says. The biblical perspective for the future is earthly and physical. Okay? That's how we've got to think of heaven. Earthly and physical. You know the brown stuff that we walk on? Earthly, physical. When we think of heaven, what should come to our minds is our next picture. Mountains. Earthly, remember? Lakes. Okay? Clouds, no doubt. Uh, little rolling meadows. Forests. Little lambs. Okay? With side by side, lions maybe. Uh, we, and we're to expect what people to be there? The church. Unfortunately, not all of them. Sadly, not all of them. The church. Okay, this is where we're going. We think of heaven as something very real, very similar to the place we inhabit now, except all the decay gone. So I think it surely it would include travel, maybe interstellar travel, okay? Culture, art, music, maybe Belinda Carlisle, who knows? But music, entertainment, creativity, inventions, product developments, building programs. Who here, bu who here builds? Why do you build? I mean, your husband builds. Why does he build? I'll tell you why he builds. You want to know the answer to this. It's because the God who created him builds. We're made in his image. We're no less his image when we get to heaven. There'll be building projects. If you're a builder, you're going to have work in heaven, okay? There'll be building projects. There'll be sport, food, fun, play, Laughter, relationships. But the key difference is it will all be infinitely better. You see, the only human who've ever known a world like that were who? Yeah, I wasn't quite thinking of Jesus, but certainly two humans, the only two, Adam and Eve were the only humans who've ever known a world so perfect. At the end of time... It will be the general experience of all of its inhabitants. There's a new heaven and a new earth. We're not to think of something alien, celestial, or even angelic, but something much more earthly. Now, everything we're going to look at, and, everything, and this is a, the, some of the key to Revelation, it's all revamped stuff. In fact, nothing in Revelation is new. It's all revamped from where? From what warehouse? Yeah, what is God's warehouse? All of Revelation, the key to understanding anything in Revelation is all its imagery, all its pictures, all its substance is from a particular warehouse. What's that warehouse? 
The Old Testament, thank you. It's all Old Testament imagery revamped, reconstituted. So if we're talking about a new heaven and earth, it's there in the old. Let me show you. So Isaiah 65. Behold, I will create. It's always intended. God's purpose since the fall. In fact, God's purpose for all eternity because he doesn't live in time, does he? But God's purpose from our perspective since the fall is that he will recreate the heavens and the earth. In fact, Isaiah goes on and he seems to tell us, again in picture language, no doubt, some of its detail. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard and the li- will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. Verse 9, they'll neither harm nor destroy my holy mountain. Isaiah 2, nation will not take up sword against nation. So a lot of imagery. Can you see what the imagery is pointing to? An earth that's perfected and earth our present earth if we're not aware of it look i know we try to look when we build nice houses houses and what are we really doing to the real image of the earth we are we're putting lipstick on it we're putting lipstick on it what do i mean we're trying to cover up okay particularly here in australia with all the affluence that exists here Okay, we're living in a mirage, pretending it's a wonderful paradise earth. It's a stinker. It's breaking down. It's heading for destruction. And even all those lovely lipstick buildings that we're putting up, they'll be coming down. Okay, the world is in anarchy and chaos. The reason we don't feel it so much, we've got so much lipstick that we can't tell what's really going on. But the time is coming, friends, where God won't put makeup on the church to cover up what's wrong with it. He will rebuild it to its original condition. There'll be a, a new heaven and a new earth. Paul talks about how the creation itself is somehow aware Somehow anticipating this change. Look at Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, God, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into its glorious freedom. Okay? It seems to suggest that the planet itself is anticipating this transformation, this return. I like to refer to it as the new planet. Eden Mark 2. Eden, but better. Okay? Eden, why would it be better? Why would it be better than Eden? Thank you. Thank you, Pam. You see, even Eden had its imperfection in place. It's to be Eden, but better. It's a bit of an overview. Let me go give you a bit more detail. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So I think we looked at this earlier. I don't think we're thinking of a brand new planet. Rather of a restored planet. Here's 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Look, I'm doing a lot of building illustrations today. Okay. Look, you want to build a house? What do you do first? You clear the land. You, pardon? 
Well, yeah, boy, yeah, you're going to struggle there, okay? You've managed to get through the loophole. You, you, you prepare the ground. Peter seems to be suggesting, friends, that the new creation comes out of the old, okay? He burns up the first one. He's preparing it. See, look, if you if you had any farmers here, when you, when you torch your field, okay, after the harvest, it's not because you don't want it anymore. Burn that, move on. Why, you, why, why do you torch it? Yeah, the seeds and the weeds, I was thinking in particular, the, the pesticides, all the stuff that's not productive or conducive to the future. When God burns up the earth, burns up the earth what's he doing? Cleansing it. Thank you. He's burning up every trace. Of evil. You see, it started very good, we said in Genesis 3, okay, in Genesis 1 rather. By chapter 3, the very good had become the beginning of very bad. And what God seems to be doing at the end of time, friends, is taking his creation and not abandoning it. There's something lovely about God. He doesn't abandon things. His preference is always restoration. Okay, And so instead of abandoning the earth, he seems to take a hold of it and he restores it, makes it new, makes it what it was meant to be. You recognize a picture like this. I think it's the next slide. It's supposedly Eden. Who knows? Maybe it was just like that. Look, macaw parrots. We used to have one of those. Uh, no doubt Adam... Let me ask you, why do you think parrots, for example, have the ability to mimic speech in a fallen world? What do you think that would have been like in its original condition? Who knows? But Adam had intelligent conversation with the bird. Have you ever thought about it like that? Yeah. Well, at least the parrot is the one animal that's got speech capability. Okay? Who knows? But... I think that maybe captures something of Eden when there was this harmony between the animal world, between the animal world and humanity. Remember, Adam had oversight over them. He named them. That means he had dominion over them. He, he was a god on the planet, wasn't he? It was awful, really, what the devil tried to do to him and tried to, you know, to trick him by telling him he could be God. Adam was God on the planet. I don't know if you ever thought of it like that. He was the kingpin on the planet. When God says, name the animals, what was God saying he was? The king. Okay? God gave him a kingdom. Remember, he made him in his own image. What image is God? He's the ruler. He made God in that impression. So when the devil beguiles him, Adam already had lordship in that sense. He was the master of that planet but lost it because of the fall. And so Revelation 21 says there's a new heaven and a new earth. I think we have to recall, friends, that, that our present planet reflects something of Eden even today. Okay, And more in places like where we live than other places, perhaps. Okay, So the new heaven and earth has some connection to how it began and to something of what we have now. We don't have heaven and earth now. We don't. We really don't. But we have measures of it. We get moments of it. When it gets to December, 
and it's like 41 degrees, I'll be in heaven. Right? For me, that's a taste of heaven. I'm like, yeah. Okay, who needs heaven? I've got it now. Okay? Right. We get glimpses of it, but the new one will have that in full measure. So here's what we're saying, first of all. Okay, I don't know what you think about heaven, but if you think this, next slide, please. If that's your view of heaven, you're going to be disappointed. Seriously, there are no harps, angels playing harps. Seriously. Okay, get out of your mind. Here's heaven. Let me show you what heaven looks like. Heaven looks like that. Okay? It's a renewed planet. Next one. Heaven will be like that. What's that suggesting? Harmony. Okay. Next one, please. Heaven will be like that. What's that suggesting? When black and white, small and large, okay, are in complete and perfect, loving fellowship. Heaven will be... Next one, please. What's that? Okay, okay. This is difficult to get from directly from a text of Scripture, but I can get it at least from the thrust of Scripture. I haven't got time to argue it now. Heaven will be intergalactical travel. Why do you think he made it so big? Hello? So we don't get bored. So Sarah, you can have a journey to planet X. Seriously, why do you think he put it there? I mean, how many, how many of them are trillions upon trillions upon trillions of planets? Why? Just so that you can see a speck in the a, a dark? Don't be silly. It's so that you can travel to it. Explore. The reason he made it so big is that you'll never feel imprisoned. You'll never get to the end of exploring the universe. So, a glimpse of heaven. The next slide, friends. That's it. When you think of heaven, that's what we're looking at. An earthly, physical, tangible reality. Something akin to what we know, know now, but restored to what it was then. There's a bit more clue in the text to suggest that's exactly what, the, what, we, what we're looking at. Notice these words. There was no longer any sea. The number of people that complain to me about heaven, particularly Aussies, because there's going to be no sea, okay? No beaches, okay? No sandcastles, okay? okay? No surfing, no sharks, okay? It, it's not what's going on here. See, I know in Australia, I, I don't know, I'm assuming that's Australia. I just Google the picture. It looks like a place in Australia I went to in 2004, up there northeast. Uh, look, when, when we think of no sea, and you're an Aussie, you're thinking... No. Seriously? What does he mean? Remember this imagery. Okay, get out of our heads if you would follow me at least for the next few weeks. This is just imagery. What do you think? You're a Jew. You're a first century Jew. And then John says to you, and Charles, there's no sea. What's he saying to you? Nothing to be scared of. I know you guys love the sea. I'm going to get any liking to myself now. Okay. But for the Israelites, it was anarchy, it was danger, it's where they got invaded from, it's, it was chaotic. The sea for the Jews held a picture of, of darkness and 
chaos and anarchy. In fact, as you read Revelation, where do those monsters come out of? The sea. Okay? And so here's, here's a commentator. Uh, next verse, please. Yeah. In antiquity, people did not have the means of coping successfully with the sea's dangers like we do today. And they regarded it, particularly the Jews, uh, as an unnatural element, a place of storm and danger. So then the point is when he says there's no longer any sea, it's confirming that this new planet comes without all the baggage of this one. There's Bliss, tranquility, security, with real beaches, no doubt, okay? Look, even when I was preparing this this week, I think it was Thursday or Friday, I was on my computer, up pops a message on my phone, that. If I ever needed to be reminded that this world has oceans galore, seas upon seas, a poor tourist, he was a surfer. In New Zealand, shot dead. It's an awful reminder, friends, that we live in a world of seas, of real danger and uncertainty and chaos. But the new earth will come without all that the sea represents. There will be no longer any sea there. That's something about the planet, and there's a lot more we can say, but I want to move on from the planet to its inhabitants, okay? That's something of the infrastructure, a brand new earth, physical, just like the one we live on now, but beautified. There'll be travel. There may even be intergalactical travel. There'll be the animal world. There'll be the human world. There'll be absolute peace. There'll be enjoyment, beauty, sport, commerce, no doubt, art, culture, everything you can imagine, but better. But let me move on to its inhabitants, because the key point, to its inhabitants. And here's the second point. In a, in a new earth, there'll be a new humanity, a new humanity. And Jesus calls that humanity. What does he call that new humanity? I think it's the next slide. What does he call it? The church. It's the church. The church made up of both Covenants, okay? This is the complete people of God. Verse 2. I'll show you how I'm getting this. This is where some of the imagery will either make sense or you just think I'm crazy. Okay, listen to this, uh, if you would. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It's why we had the Ephesians reading, if you're wondering, has he gone mad? Okay? Uh, why is Jerusalem, let me ask you this question, why is Jerusalem so important in the Old Testament, and even to Jews today, why is Jerusalem so important? What is it about Jerusalem that's important for Jews? It's, it's God's city. It's the holy city. Okay? What makes it holy? What makes Jerusalem holy? The only reason Jerusalem is holy is because it's one item. What makes Jerusalem holy? Okay. He wasn't around when it was... Okay. Okay. Back then. Back then. Start again. Back then, what was the one item of furniture that made Jerusalem holy? The temple. Because the temple was what? What happened in the temple? It was. What was the Holy of Holies? Where the presence of God dwelt. The temple is where God's presence dwelt. It was the place that facilitated worship. How did you worship God in the Old Covenant? 
You took what to what to have what done to what? You took your sacrifice to the temple to have it sacrificed. Okay? Okay? It was a place that facilitated worship. It's the place of God's presence. The only reason Jerusalem, as a geographical location on this planet, became holy is because it possessed the holiest architecture on the planet, in the universe. It was a place that God housed God's presence. Sorry, you were going to say something, Stephanie? I kept interrupting you. It does. I'm going to get to that. Thank you. So here's the thing. Jerusalem was made holy because of the temple. What did Jesus say about the temple? John 2. That's not the real temple. That's what he said in John 2. That's not the real temple. What did he say in John 2? <coughs> Destroy this temple and i will raise it again in three days what was he saying uh, that is not the real temple yeah he's talking about himself he's the temple of god okay more than that one corinthians three more than that one corinthians three okay don't you know uh, sorry i'm gone way ahead of myself what does he say to the woman at the well okay here's a clue so we've done john 2 He's the real temple. What does he say to the woman at the well about Jerusalem and about the temple? Look, I'm, I'm always offending people, so apologies beforehand, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's my job, not to offend you, but to preach what I believe is the truth. Okay, please don't be offended. What does Jesus say? And look, and, and I'm sure we don't take these words seriously enough. What does Jesus say about Jerusalem and the temple to the woman at the well? Okay, let me, yeah, exactly what he says. Thank you. Let me give you, we've got Bron's house. And I go up to Bron and say, Bron, the time's coming when we won't be living in your house anymore. What am I saying about her house? It's going to be redundant. Okay, listen to what Jesus, I think it's the next one, Ricky. Listen to what Jesus says. Believe me, woman, a time is coming and has now come, he says earlier in the verse, when you'll worship God neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What is that saying? Friends, be honest. What is that saying about Jerusalem? Its significance depreciates with Jesus. Because he's the temple. Do you see the point? That was always, as always, a temporary architecture awaiting his arrival. It's why Hebrews 1, in the past, God spoke to us through prophets and holy men. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, who is a perfect representation of the heavenly being. Jesus is absolutely clear, friends, that with his arrival, he says it in plain Aramaic, translated into Greek and now into Aussie. Okay? That the time is coming when Jerusalem will no longer have anything to do with worship. Jesus said that. I haven't said that. Don't stone me. Jesus said it, okay? It will have nothing more to do with worship because the temple of God now is Jesus' body and it's, it's us, 1 Corinthians 3. Thank you. What does 1 Corinthians 3 say? Do you not know who are you? 
Who are you? And I'm not talking about you, uh, Carol. And I'm not talking about, uh, about you, Gloria. And I'm not talking about you, Liz. Who, what's the you there? It's the church. The church. The body that meets together in Jesus' name, a corporate entity, is the Jerusalem temple. Because insofar as we are in Christ, we share what he is with him. He is the temple of God, and insofar as we are in him, we are the temple of God. So the first thing Revelation 21 verse 2 is saying, listen, let me reread it to you again, okay? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven. What's he talking about? The church. We are the temple of God, yeah. Corporately, for certain, okay, individually in a sense, for sure. But the imagery is always corporate. The New Testament church is always a corporate entity. Jesus died for the church, not individual people. He died for the church. So yes, because the New Testament is just generally corporate everywhere, uh, Sir Charles. So yes, okay. So the point we're making is this, where if I just catch myself, the holy city of the New Jerusalem is... The new temple coming down, the new Jerusalem, the new place where God's presence dwells, which is the people of God. I'm going to keep arguing this for the next 15 minutes, 10 minutes, so bear with me. Okay, so John sees the people of God of both covenants. And I'll tell you why it's both covenants shortly, but just for now, it's the temple of God, it's, it's Jerusalem, it's a new spiritual Jerusalem. We did it in Galatians 4. We are of Jerusalem above, Remember? Not the earthly Jerusalem. And so here's what a commentator says, Hendrickson. A city, the reason it's a city, he says, because a city calls to mind the concept of permanent residence, a great number of inhabitants, safety, security, fellowship, beauty. With respect to all of these characteristics, the church in principle, even today, in perfection, by and by, is like a city. We are like a city. Let me tell you a bit more about this city. It comes down out of heaven. What is that saying about the church? It's coming down. So we're saying it's the church, and I'm going to argue that a bit further just now. But let me just show you this. It's coming down from heaven. What is that suggesting about it? About the church. If, if this is indeed the church, and it's coming down out of heaven, what's that suggest? If something's coming from God, what's that suggest about the thing that came from God? It's yeah, it's him. It's his work. Okay. The thing about the church is God's brainchild. Okay, it comes from him. He's the one who puts it together, which means your salvation is ultimately the consequence of what? Yes, that's something else. God's handiwork. God's, here's Ephesians 1.4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be blameless and holy. Can you see something about what's been said here? This church is coming from God. This is God's brainchild. This is God's doing. The reason, Gloria, you're in the church of Jesus Christ is because God has put you there. That's why we're here. It's something that comes from God. There's more to it. I mean, look, it's prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Okay. How do I know that this city is, is the church? 
Listen to this. This city is as a bride beautifully dressed for a husband. What is the one husband the scripture is interested in? Jesus. Who is his bride? The church, Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Can you see what's being said here? That this city is the bride of Christ, the people of God, it's, it's God's making. The proof of that is that, look, she, it's described as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Let me give you one more clue. I mean, if you're missing this, you know, and we're in conversation with people, I often lead them to these verses, and look, how can you miss that? Watch, let me take you to the other verses that Nick read for us. A bit further on, verses 9 to 12. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come and I'll show you, who's he going to show him? The bride, the wife of the lamb. Who's that? Church. So you got it. Okay. He's going to show him the church. Do we get that bit, yeah? What does he show him? Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me what? So what is the holy city? The church. Can you see? Look, he says, I'll show you the church. It would be like me saying to Stephanie, come on, Stephanie. I'm going to show you my, uh, uh, my car. Uh, and then I'll take you to this water. I wouldn't do that, would I? If I was going to show my car, I would take her to the car, okay? If he says, I'm going to show you the bride and take you to the city, that means the city must be the bride, the church. So he, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, we see the church of Jesus Christ that he puts together, okay, coming down to do what? What's she coming down Clues, what she's wearing, what she's coming down to do. Marry Jesus, to be united intimately to Jesus. Coming down as a bride, beautifully dressed. Notice a, a dress, and let's look at a dress. Look, who likes wedding dresses here? Troy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarah? Okay, look, yeah, yeah, look, yeah, wedding dresses are nice. You know, yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, okay, so look, here's the thing. So she's beautifully dressed. The Greek word, we'll, we'll, we'll recognize this Greek word here. Cosmeo. Okay, look, there it is. The Greek word. Does it sound familiar with something we know? Oh, it means to adorn. Can you see what this dress is doing? What is this dress doing to the church? Yeah? Okay, okay. Now, now tell me. Yeah, because I was going to ask, what does beautiful mean? Can you see what it's doing? It's purifying the church. So look, here's the reality. If you don't know by now, you are right ugly. Seriously, me included. Okay, okay, right ugly. Forget how whatever your mom's told you, it's all lies. Okay, we are ugly through and through. Okay, we're nothing like the beautiful people that Jesus intended. Sin is ravaging us. And even as believers, there's a restoration going on, but it's a slow process. And look, if you know anything about yourself, if you're honest with yourself, you know it's a slow process, but as we're washed in the word, it's why we say church is so important. This is where you do your weekly bath. When I was, when I was a kid, I only had a bath once a week. You're thinking, phew, I'm glad I didn't, didn't know him then. Okay, I only, had a, I only had a bath once a week, Sunday, before school, okay? Do you, know, do you know what church is? It's our weekly corporate bath. 
And if you don't come and wash on Sunday, you're a stinker. <laughs> Seriously. This is where we bath together under God's word, in fellowship with God's people. Did, you know the rubbing of the, ba- of the back with a scrubbing brush? That's called fellowship. It, it's, it's when I hang around with Liz that I get a real scrub on my back. You see, it's two personalities learning to love one another. Two people from two different worlds. She's from Eastern Europe originally. I'm from the East. Got nothing in common, okay, whatsoever, okay? But the gospel puts us together, and he expects us to wash and to clean and to be restored. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we who have on their faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. There's a work of transformation going on here. And however bad you feel about the fact that you're just not making much progress, one day, next one please, I think it's the next slide, one day, you'll be beautifully attired, okay? Beautifully dressed, reflecting perfectly the wonder of Jesus. One day, we will reflect Jesus perfectly. When Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, he was envisaging, friends, a church that would one day reflect him. In, Galate, in, in Revelation, we're told that we will finally be dressed beautifully. We will be perfect. Every one of us. Perfectly mirroring the image of Jesus. Now look, I'm going to stop because we've got another couple of weeks of this. But I just want to give you a pointer to where we're going next time. And we'll develop the argument. We're beautifully dressed for who? Uh, I think it's the... Previous slide, please, Ricky. I just want to just say something. We're beautifully dressed for who? For who? We're going to pick this up next time. Who? For Jesus. This is the wonder of the new planet. We're getting married to Jesus. We're going to be united to Jesus. We're dressed for Jesus. We're coming down to the marriage supper with Jesus. The finale and the ultimate of heaven is being with Jesus. More of that next week, but I want to close there now, if I can. Look, heaven is so good, I want to suggest it's to die for. And the question I want to ask is, are we dying for it? There's only one entrance route, a final slide, Ricky. There's only one way to heaven in the next one okay Jesus himself says if anyone wants to come after me be an inhabitant of the new world he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for me will find it that finding of new life is that new planet living with him. And the only way we have access to it is by death. The death of Jesus in the first instance, yes. But the death of Jesus calls us to death. 
Remember we quoted Bonhoeffer before, that the call to faith is a call to die. So I want to ask you, Christian, I want to ask myself, am I someone who's dying and losing this world? Does my life reflect that in any way so that I can live in a new one? Do I say no to sin, no to temptation, no to living for myself, no to just building my own nest egg? Does my life reflect someone who's dying so that he may live in a new world? Let me leave that with you. There's a new heaven and earth. Look, no angels. Well, I'm sure there's angels. No harps, no clouds, no singing hymns, no white gowns. Okay? Forget that. It's a real physical life on a real physical planet. Okay? It's very earthly. And it's a real humanity. The church of Jesus Christ. Living perfectly. But the only entrance to it is to die to self in this world that we may live to Christ in that one. May God give us grace to do so. Amen.